on the latest episode of The Other Side. A single word prompt by a listener gets us going on an out there conversation about liminal spaces and the nature of reality. Then I quiz Bryce and Riley about what they learned during Wet Hot Alien Summer 2 Summer Abduction with a new game called What Do UF Know? To listen, go to patreon.com backslash Bigfoot Collectors Club. everybody to a whoa, brand new episode of bigfoot collectors <laughs> club like kind of dropped out of committing to that halfway through yeah you did uh, okay. you know it's fine you know what i mean yeah. it's we record these on the hump day baby we're like get as soon as we sit down and record an episode of bcc it's like we're getting over the hump of wednesday uh you're listening to this on a wednesday welcome back uh it's bigfoot collectors club i'm your host michael mcmillan with me always is your other host, Bryce Johnson. And our super producer, Riley Bray. Guys, we're in the last couple weeks of Wet Hot Alien Summer 2 Summer Abduction, our summer-long celebration of stories of high strangeness featuring UFOs, alien, abductions, mix, mix and matches of those three words. Um, yeah. and it's, it's been a wild ride, hasn't it? Oh, it's been incredible. Incredible. I'm refreshed and renewed uh, for my interest in all things UFO related. By the way, I did want to mention uh, we've been watching the J.J. Abrams produced UFO documentary series on. um, I mean, we've watched it over on Showtime Club Scouts. (laughs) If you're not on this, get on it. You can get a free month of Showtime through Apple TV, which is what I did because I'm not a Showtime subscriber. Um, it's great. We're actually going to talk about it this week with none other uh, than uh, BCC Godmother Jen Kirkman over on the other side. Um, but I just want to say that is it's like covering everything we've been talking about. Oh yeah, I feel so, we. I feel so validated. It's like we've been on the we've been on the pulse, man, of covering all the stuff that's actually relevant to this conversation. It's so funny, and I'm sure I'll mention it tonight with Jed too, but. Michael texted like, hey, we should watch this. And I was like, I'm really busy. I don't know if I could watch all these. And then like a day later, I was like, just finished all of them. Done. Yeah, what did I what did I tell you was gonna happen? Literally, you know, you know. When you know, you know. I can't stay away, man. Well, also don't forget that one week from today we have a live show that we'll be streaming over on Ludo. That's two U's on September 15th at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's the grand finale to Wet Hot Alien Summer 2 Summer Abduction that you will not want to miss. We'll be taking questions from you guys, and afterwards, you'll have an opportunity to hang out one-on-one with me, Miguel. 
Uh, during the show, we will also reveal the fate of the BCC Jet Ski Special based on whether or not we receive 1,000 five-star reviews over at Apple Podcasts by 9 p.m. Eastern on September 15th. Here's wow. a shining a scary example. Deadline. I know, guys. You have one week to get it together. Um, oh, Bryce, why don't you read us uh, an example of what, what our listeners can can drop for us over there? Yeah, let's do it. It's as easy as this. Let's go, boys, says the Hypno Hustler. Five stars. I started listening to this podcast at the beginning of the summer, and I have now listened to every episode at least twice. And it is the Whoa. first podcast I listen to on Wednesday. In conclusion, it's better than a balloon. Thank you so much, Man, Hypno amazing. Hustler. That's all we need. As That's simple as need. that. Guys, as of this recording, we're hovering at only... Now I'm calling it only 878 five-star <laughs> reviews. Oh, no. Get your five-star reviews in and make the BCC Jet Ski special happen. Talk to your neighbors. Talk to your mother. Teach your cat how to use iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Push people. Come on. We want to do this. I might have to start going door-to-door like I did back in the day. Selling <laughs> yeah. birthday reminder kits from Don LaPree. <laughs> you did door-to-door? Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah. So you want to be a millionaire. It's as easy as going door to door and selling birthday reminder kits. That's right. Man, I I couldn't even get you to hand out stickers at the live show at Fan X Salt Lake. Well, that's why, because he worked he worked door to door. Yeah, dude, I'm fucking traumatized, man. Come yeah. on. Yeah. I did I did that once too for like a canvassing thing. It's horrendous. That's yeah, a, I had a sales drama. It's a real thing. When yeah. I was a kid, I had to pass out flyers for some neighborhood thing, and a dog chased me down a driveway, and knocked me over. It was scary, and I only got paid like five dollars for it. I was really angry. Check out our live show next week. You can only watch. Watch it uh, over at Ludo, and you can purchase tickets in the link in our link tree, in our show notes, and on our social media at Bigfoot Collectors Club on Instagram and at Bigfoot Pod on Twitter. And of course, you can get more BCC over at our Patreon, BCC the other side, patreon.com slash Bigfoot Collectors Club. Okay, let's bring in tonight's amazing guest. Uh, he's a it. gentleman that I've known for a long time. Uh, he is an actor who's appeared in hit shows like, guys, get a load of this, Lost. Heard of it? Mm-hmm. True Blood. Yeah. Heard of that one? Grim, uh, The Good Wife. He can currently be seen playing the DC Comics supervillain Sportsmaster, a role I wouldn't even be allowed to audition for uh, in the show <laughs> Stargirl. Club Scouts of all timelines, please give a welcoming salute to Mr. Neil Hopkins. Woo! Ow! Woo! Thank all you. Right. Neil. What's up, so Neil? How hey. are you, man? So happy to have hey. you here. Thanks, man. I'm happy to be here. Um, so you... did you have to like show them you could throw a ball or like dunk dunk a basketball or something to audition yeah, for? Yeah, the audition role? the audition was in a gym, which was I thought was a little <laughs> unusual. And uh I had to take my shirt off. And mm-hmm. uh yeah, no, it was I didn't even know what I was reading for. You know, it was one of those things. So oh, yeah. um until I got the part like a month later. And, you know, they, you know, you know, when they do the thing where they put like dummy, dummy sides together and they put like a a fake character name and all that stuff. So I had no idea like what it was. And then I got the offer and it was, I saw that it was this character named Sportsmaster who I'd never heard of, but he's been around since like 1947. 
Yeah, he's and, one of those uh, kooky DC villains that they came up with way back in the day, where it's like, yeah, uh, we need some Superman's got to fight somebody who's got a hockey stick. Let's just call him Sportsmaster. Yeah, or like they were like brainstorming in the room, and some guy had a tennis racket. He was like bouncing a ball on it, and they were like trying to figure it out. And they were like, <laughs> oh, that that's it. That's it, it. It is like so corny, and yet it's so like it, it, the way that the creator Jeff Johns, the creator of this show, does it is really up my alley because he's very funny and he's it's very tongue-in-cheek which i was relieved about because when i when i saw the word sports master i was like you got to be kidding me um <laughs> and i was <laughs> i had no idea i was like that 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 is that it freaked me out and then i you know when i when i saw the way that they handled the character i was like oh thank god like it's like a really i did research and i i learned you know they, they have cartoon they had this cartoon called young justice I think it's called. Oh yeah, that's a good show. Sportsmaster, like Sportsmaster, like got off the D list of of DC villains and became like kind of a kind of an A list or B list villain, and they they uh, they kind of turned him into a cool character. So I so I was relieved that they they made it actually like a, one of the most fun characters I've ever played. But yeah, it's it's like he uses gadgets like you know exploding shuttlecocks and you know. Come on. He's amazing Hold with on. the baseball. Putting bat. that down on the on the BJ and the Shadow Bats music list, exploding <laughs> shuttlecocks. Yeah, it's 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 just an amazing. Um, it, they they have to really like you know become very inventive about all the the sports equipment that he uses, which is really funny. You know, that's awesome. And you're one step closer to having your own Todd McFarlane uh, action figure being made of you. Oh, like God, from your lips to God's ears. <laughs> like that's, that's all... so the goal. I mean, I, yeah. isn't that the goal? Oh, Just yeah. to get 100%. a fucking realistic toy that you could get that's you. Only if, I would... only if you only if you get a piece. Right. Yeah, no yeah. kidding. Yeah. Right. But I I'd At be this happy point, to... I would even take one without a piece, you know. Yeah, I'd be <laughs> yeah. happy to get a Funko Pop. I mean, if I could get a Funko Pop, I'd be thrilled. Are you kidding me? I would love to have a Funko Pop. They have these people on on Instagram that like make Lego. Like when you get on one of these shows, you get plugged into this whole like fandom of of, you know, comic books and all that stuff, which I love. And uh I have been delighted to see that all these there are people that create Lego versions of like all the characters that are on tv right now a lego yeah. minifig of neil hopkins come on you can die a happy yeah. man oh yeah michael did so, you i heard i heard there's so there's like a funko pop uh factory here in los angeles downtown where you can go there like one day a week and you can make your own funko pop they'll make one for you we should get one for we should get three funkos for the for the bcc is it at I'm the big funko shop on hollywood yeah, that's right. That's not, yep. Yeah, in downtown Hollywood. That's not too far from me. Um, yeah, just go down to the Funko shop. Yeah. Let's go down. They'll, they'll, hey, let's, come on they'll, down. They'll, let's they'll go to the Funko right. shop. Let's <laughs> yeah. make it happen. We got to do it, man. Well, Neil, we want to get into all of your thoughts on the paranormal. But before we do that, uh, Riley, get ready because I brought in some. So we're going to read you a story, uh, Neil. Uh, this is a headline that was actually sent in from a Patreon, Stephen. Thank you, Patreon, who sent this uh, over to us at uh, over on the other side. This is from a website called The Drive, and it reads, Radio transmissions from police helicopters chase of bizarre craft over Tucson add 
to mystery. FAA audio points to confusion during and after police helicopters encounter with strange aircraft. This is by Brett Tingley and Mark Sicotti uh, from August 19th, 2021. On February 9th, 2021, a U.S. Customs and Border Protection helicopter encountered what was described as a quote-unquote highly modified drone hovering in controlled airspace above Tucson, Arizona. A Tucson Police Department helicopter was called in to aid the CPB or the CBP aircraft in its pursuit of the small aircraft, but the drone, or whatever it was, was able to outrun both of them as it flew through military airspace, deftly maneuvered around both helicopters with bizarre agility, and ultimately disappeared into cloud cover above the altitude the helicopters could safely fly. A police Mm. report previously obtained by the war zone, that's the uh, subsection of the drive that we're reading from, showed that the TPD crew discovered the drone as very sophisticated slash specialized and able to perform like no other UAS they had previously encountered. Now, we have the actual audio from the CPB helicopter's interaction with the air traffic controllers in Tucson during the incident, as well as audio from after action between the TPD crew and the air traffic control tower. Now, I'm going to include a link because it's a lot of audio. You guys can check that out at home. Check the show notes for that. Uh, but from the conversations heard on the recordings, which the war zone obtained from the Federal Aviation Administration through the Freedom of Information Act, it's clear that all parties involved with the incident were baffled by the drone's performance, noting that it appeared super sophisticated and possibly satellite controlled. Throughout the mm-hmm. hour-long pursuit, a law enforcement air crews can be heard. The law enforcement air crews can be heard saying that the mystery craft was essentially playing with them by repeatedly positioning itself directly above the helicopter's rotors, some one thousand feet above them. At one point, the air traffic controller says, "We filed this up as we fly this filed this up as high as we can, and we did call Washington. Oh, yeah, so they they filed it up, up the ladder. We did call Washington, presumably meaning a federal office in D.C., quite possibly the FAA National Headquarters. But there you go. Drone or alien spacecraft. Oh, what do you think, Neil? Bryce, Riley, what are your thoughts? I mean, it's got to be a drone, right? Yeah, it sounds like it. Nothing really from this article reeks to me of of uh of ufo but but maybe i mean only because they're using the word sophisticated and modified drone right Mm -hmm. i think of those little like rc cars that like use gas and are just fucking tanked up and (laughs) vrooming maybe someone's doing that with uh have you been maybe maybe some little garage lately bryce yeah maybe some (laughs) little garage nerd is 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 humming up one of these uh one of these drones i i don't know it seems like a lot of these, you know, I saw that 60 Minutes recently. Did you guys see? I'm sure you saw that where they, they interviewed the guy about the UFOs that the mm-hmm. that has been classified mm-hmm. for all these years, you know, and they, they have like those videos of the jets following them. It, I don't know, man. I mean, I want to believe in UFOs, but I'm not convinced that it's not just some super sophisticated drone because drones are just incredible. You know, they say bizarrely. What does it say? Bizarre agility. I love that. Yeah, um, in the article, you should tell Jeff Johns to work that into Sportsmaster. Like, maybe he's got like heightened <laughs> bizarre agility. I'm te- I'm texting him <laughs> as we talk. Yeah, no, I, I I don't know. It's just, and I've seen drones do pretty remarkable things, and like people can get incredibly sophisticated at controlling them. And I don't know. It, it just doesn't scream to me UFO as much as I want to believe. 
I tell you what, the UFO documentary has got me rethinking that Tic Tac thing and can, making me consider that it is possibly some uh, inflated, inflatable, high uh, tech like balloon droid or balloon balloon drone. But uh, that's all. Is I'm that the one? That. Is that the the one you guys were talking about? The Showtime one? Yes. Yeah, that's the. Yes. Uh, there's a new there's a new documentary series produced by uh, Bad Robot, JJ Abrams Company, called UFO. Oh, Neil it's a knows. Neil's, Neil knows all about Bad series. Robot. <laughs> yeah, We're, I don't know, dude. That's not, that's not Liam a fucking. From that's not a, some super. That's not some super <laughs> balloon, man. I I know what that one guy was trying to intimate, and I'm sure we'll get into it more later, but. But, uh, dude, I don't think that was a fucking. I'm just saying. Super balloon. I'm just backing Neil up here. I think these drones are fancier than we than we understand. So, yeah. Well, they yeah, don't. They, weigh, they, they have no weight to them, and so they're so easy to maneuver. And I just feel like you know they. Yeah, of course they can do things a helicopter can't do. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Why are we still? By the way, why are we still flying helicopters? Doesn't that seem like Leonardo da Vinci like technology <laughs> at this point? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and especially since like dude. most of them crash. Yeah, you know? uh, this, let's get rid of. Let's come up with something better than helicopters. Sorry, helicopter pilots that are listening to this, but how about just on. like five drones that can support the weight of a body? Yeah, do something like that. Have you seen those those flying things where the guys stand on? They're basically like a big drone where they're they're like hoverboards. Yeah, the platforms, yeah. and they can fly across water. Those things are incredible. You know, something we haven't really looked into and we should have this summer is like that jetpack man who's been flying around Los Angeles. We got to we got to we got to dig into more about jetpack man. Maybe maybe we'll talk about him on the live show. Maybe he's not a man at all. Is is he the guy that like flew up near LAX, like flew up and like like waved to the to the pilots and the who were at cruising altitude? How high did he go? He's like as high as Iron Man. (laughs) <laughs> like that's how high he's flying. That's my just to bring everything to, back to superheroes. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 Uh yeah, I don't know. But I think he was spotted recently again, like cruising over the Santa Monica Mountains. So we, we gotta we gotta look into Jetpack Man. Um, he, he probably has like five documentary crews like just trying to trying to get access to him right now. I mean that that would make a pretty sweet documentary, don't you think? Because like, he's, a I mean, whatever he's doing it, he's doing it underground and 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 not trying to be detected. Because there, there's actually like a guy named Jetman. I follow him on Instagram, and he's the one that's been doing the jetpack stuff and and the flying wing jet uh, longer than anybody. And and I mean, it's a big operation uh, for that guy to do what he does. Like he has to be taken up in a in an aircraft, usually a helicopter, um, or or a plane or a cub plane, and you know. And then he gets out on his. It, he used to. Ha- he has this like wing. It's very much like uh, what are those one toys, Michael? With the uh, you're talking ah, about the, the Centurions, of course. The Centurions, Power Extreme. Yeah, it's like the like the blue <laughs> dude with his wing. Fuck, and but and this guy has uh, rockets on it, and uh, and that guy and his is his his little um, his little modded out jet wing. It, it can outperform. That's the only one that can really like go that altitude and perform those maneuvers. Anybody with those like kind of like you see you've seen the one video of the of the military guy with the little jet arms going from the boat to the uh, to the battleship. It's like 200 feet, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Have you seen that video? Yeah, yes. that's amazing. Yeah, it's it's amazing, but it's not up at altitudes above 5,000 feet. I mean, so right. I don't know whatever this. This guy is, and and first of all, to be flying over restricted airspace, over especially like an airport of Los Angeles, I mean, 
you know, he, he's really fucking with the powers that be. So totally. I, I don't know. It's, it's a very strange case. They never found out who it was or exactly what it was. All the pilots described. I didn't hear anything about waving to the pilots. All I heard was like, it looked like a, a, a something on like a guy on a jetpack, you know? Um, but I, I'm I don't know. You, it probably this, is that, but the super people are emerging. They're becoming three dimensional and real. It's happening. <laughs> We're at the birth of the superhuman right now. I'm excited. <sighs> so Neil, Yo. what is your personal paranormal history? Did you grow up believing in ghosts, aliens, Bigfoot? Have you ever encountered anything you couldn't explain? Have you ever had even a weird tarot card reading? I've never done a tarot card reading, but I, when I, I don't have like a legitimate, I wish I did. I don't have a legitimate, uh, unexplainable story from my childhood, but man, I was so like, like a lot of kids, I think I was so suggestible. And if I saw a movie or if I read a book, like that became my entire world. And I just <laughs> believed it a hundred percent. And for example, when I, I think when I was like 10, uh, I don't know how, but I got to see The Exorcist, um, bad parenting, um, and I saw The Exorcist, and it scared me so bad, and I was raised Catholic, so like we're sort of primed to believe in all that shit, <laughs> right. and I, so I got, there was a time, probably lasted a couple months, where I, every night, I would wake up in the middle of the night, and I had this crazy fear of being possessed by the devil. Like I was just sure it was going to happen because now that I knew what a, what a possession was, it, 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 of course it's going to, it's going to descend on me because now I have the knowledge. So I sat, I would like wake up in the middle of the night, like night after night. I remember it so clearly just terrified because I was sure, wait, that's it. I'm, I, th there's something in me. Like I, I was terrified that I was going to be possessed and it took me the longest time to like get out of that mindset. And similarly, when I was uh, like a couple years older, I read the book Communion by what, what's his name? Whitley. Oh, Whitley Strieber. Yeah. Whitley Strieber. Mm -hmm. That book freaked. I don't know if you how, what you guys thought of that book, but that oh, scared dude, the I shit couldn't even, out of me. Couldn't even go near the cover of that book. It'd be Dalton at, at Oak Park Mall. <laughs> it, 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 ha it has one of the scariest covers I've ever seen. Like to this day, when I look at the cover, I because I still have it. When I look at the cover, I I, it, I find it very chilling. And, you know, that was one of those stories, again, that I read it and I was convinced I was going to be abducted. I was convinced <laughs> it was it was going to happen. It was only a matter of time. And so I would go through these periods in my childhood where, you know, I just believed in everything. And I, I thought for sure it was going to happen because every detail of that book seemed believable to me. And I love that you're I'm just like, relating to like a a like forty year old man in the Catskill Mountains on on like oh, yeah. on, a, on a Christmas vacation with his family. He's like, yeah. well, it happened to that guy from well, New York City. It's going to happen to ten year old me. Stands Hell to yeah. reason. That's ten year old logic for you. Yeah, I that that book scared the bejesus out of me, and for a long time after that, I was just absolutely convinced it was going to happen. Anytime I'd see a light, like whether it was a headlight or whatever outside at night, come through my window shades I, w I thought for sure it was a ufo and Sound, uh, sounds like we have the same we grew up with the same brand of anxiety because i was a hundred percent there with you yeah it was it was pretty terrifying like and it's funny to think about it now but like my son who's seven like he has these same sort of irrational fears about this that or the other thing and he's like unfortunately really obsessed with the idea of horror movies we haven't let him see 
but like a couple, you know, like PG rated ones, but he gets the same exact thing and I see it in him and I'm like, oh my God. And it'll go on for months where he can't go to sleep at night because he's convinced that, you know, you know, there's a ghost or whatever it is. One one uh, day when he's at school, you should just quietly set communion on his pillow. And then when he comes, just <laughs> let him come home from school and discover it, and then just see see how the night oh, goes. Yeah. We're trying to get we're trying to get him to read more, so maybe the, this is the ticket. <laughs> well, it sounds like you've broken the cycle of movie abuse. You haven't showed him The Exorcist yet. No, but he really wants to see it, and he's seen clips of it on YouTube. So he's probably seen the scariest parts, uh, and he's just fascinated by it. And uh, you know, of course, because I'm an actor i'm 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 able to you know tell oh that's all fake and this was pea soup and this was this this is this was an animatronic doll and i'll you know like trying to like take some of the sting out of the fear right. you know but but then you're like but it's all based on a real <laughs> yeah, incident exactly. that actually happened <laughs> it actually so let's happened watch it now to a seven-year-old boy not unlike you <laughs> <laughs> right right but it's funny it's it, i was reflecting on that and i was thinking about how funny it is when you you know i don't know if you guys are catholic but i i was raised catholic and you're sort of they sort of indoctrinate you to believe that stuff and so it seems it's a, it's very, a very supernatural weird. religion. You very know much what I mean? So. Yeah. Um, I mean, just religion in general has so many sort of supernatural elements, but uh, Catholicism, especially, it's hyped up there. You know, got to keep people keep keep people scared. You know? I was raised Presbyterian, and the, like in one prayer every Sunday, the Holy Ghost would come up, and I'd always be like, "Can we pause? Can we go back? What's this ghost <laughs> that we're talking about?" Like, and I would always picture being like in a white sheet, and like. It's like it's so it's so mind blowing to as a kid to have like your parents and grownups tell you there's no such thing as ghosts. And then every Sunday you and 200 adults are like praying to a ghost. You're like, what what the fuck's going on, guys? Who I'm taking a, taking Jesus part of like ritualistic behavior. Now I'm eating the body of Christ, and now I'll drink His <laughs> wait, blood. Let's all drinking, have a great we, Sunday. Wait, are we vampires? What's happening here? <laughs> I know when what you the try. What is going on? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you try to explain, it's one of those things where unless you're indoctrinated in it from a young age, which is why they do it, it's just bizarre, you know. And I try to explain, like, because we haven't raised our kids with any religion, and because I, I became a skeptic, and I'll get to that later. But I, I kind of. I threw off all that, you know, belief that I had as a child. And I, I became a, a very like committed skeptic for a number of years. And now I'm kind of like in between. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm open to it. But when I try to explain to my kids who don't know anything about religion, because we didn't raise them that way, about like the religion I was raised in, it gets weird really fast. You know, yeah, it, it must sound like you're you grew up 200 years ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, my, my, wasn't raised my, son will, my son will be like, yeah, so and but Jesus died. I'm like, yeah, but then he came back to life and and then he ascended into heaven. And as I'm like saying, I'm just like, I'm like, well, that's what you know, that's what a lot of people believe. Billions of them, in fact. Um, but <laughs> right. I, I, you know, I try to like couch it in that, like, well, that's, that's, that's the story anyways. <laughs> you, you make up your own mind, <laughs> right, it's, but right. it just gets like from the, from, from taking communion to, you know, the body and blood of Christ. I mean, it, it's like, it, it's got vampires, it's got zombies, it's got ghosts, it's got you know, devils. It, it's no, it's no wonder we're all fucked up. I mean, we tell these kids about, a about a jolly elf that sneaks through our chimney and we're like, no, that's real until they're nine. We're like, oh, we're just lying to you. That's just kidding. That's not a real thing. But the Jesus thing still yeah. real. 
Well, and we're yeah. at the point now with my, with my son where like he doesn't believe, like my daughter doesn't believe she's 10. She doesn't believe in Santa anymore, which is sad. But you you do start to examine that and you're like, what are we, t-? like we're, we're basically just tricking everyone. You know, we're tricking these kids to really believe in something that is totally supernatural and illogical. And then one day we're just going to be like, just kidding, you know, yeah. and then they're just supposed to forgive us for it. You know, we're like, we just, we lied to you for, you know, it- 10 years. Listen, totally. I just it's like a shaky psychological foundation. It's it's yeah. It's I just weird. gotta I just have to interject here. I apologize. Uh, there are parents who, believe it or not, let their kids listen to the show. So I just want to say to the kids who just heard that right now, this is just like UFOs and aliens. Some people don't believe in it, but it doesn't mean it's not real. Okay, so don't don't worry it's, about Santa. He'll still totally he's going to show up this Christmas. It's real. <laughs> it's real. It's totally <laughs> totally real. Um. Yeah. So, uh, and then another experience I had when I was a kid to get back to that was I, I grew up in Boulder, Colorado, and we had these, um, a bunch of trees behind our house. And like in the middle of the night, there was a period in the summer. I remember like when we first moved into this house where we would hear like what sounded like gremlins in the trees. And it was the scariest sound and I found out later it was raccoons fighting at night in the trees. <laughs> oh, scraps wow. of garbage. Have you guys ever heard raccoons fighting? Yeah, it's a wild sound. It is. If you haven't heard it, go on YouTube and look up the like. You got to get like listen to the audio of raccoons fighting. It is. It's something that like a, a sound designer would would record to use in a movie for some kind of you know demonic creature because it is it is otherworldly. And so you know I would hear this every single night. And we, for the longest time, we had no idea what it was. And you'd look out your window, you wouldn't see anything, but you'd see the trees shaking. And I was convinced it, it was like, I didn't know what it was. I thought it must be gremlins or something. Yeah, that's freaky. And for the longest time, I believed that. And then finally, like we found out it was, it was just uh, raccoons. And there was a part of me that was like relieved. Okay, it's just raccoons. And then there was a part of me that was a little disappointed because it was a little bit cooler when it was gremlins. Yeah. But, yeah. Have you ever heard, uh, Neil, have go. you ever heard of the Kelly Hopkinsville goblin case? Oh, oh. <laughs> there it is. They're kind of chill. Oh, yeah, that sounds a little alien for sure. It's the, oh, and it's the hissing and the squeaking. Yeah. Yeah. And when you hear that in the middle of the night, when it wakes you up, it's it's uh, it's pretty chilling. And, yeah. you, and, you, and if you don't know what it is, it's just like all your mind just goes crazy trying to trying to explain it. So I there's was like ter- a, there's like a guy with a jetpack behind the tree too, just like <laughs> yeah, everything's hitting you out. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> so unexplainable. I was terrorized, and just a guy with a jetpack. Yeah, exactly. It all comes back together. There's a tie-in. I was terrorized by the uh, to recap the Exorcist, Communion, and Raccoons as a child. <laughs> Bryce, you mentioned the the Hopkinsville Goblins a moment ago. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, Neil, have you ever heard of the Kelly Hopkinsville Goblin case? No, but it's got the name. Well, so it's a, it's a case so I... that took place. That's right. Uh, near near the hometown. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What, whose hometown? Well, Hopkins. Neil oh, Hopkins. yeah, that's Hopkins. right. Yeah, Hopkins. Oh, then you'll love this. Yeah, right. So uh, it's just a small town called Kelly, but it took place near Hopkinsville. And in the middle of the night, uh, about 11 people are staying in this sort of, you know, two bedroom, small house. <laughs> Um, these were people of the land and, and 
they, one of the guys, he's a young guy in his 20s. His name is he means Billy hillbillies. His actual name land. was <laughs> People of the Land. And they so like Billy Ray sees a, uh, a fly, like what looks like a meteor or a saucer crashing in the field out behind their house. Everybody's kind of like, what the hell are you talking about? You're drinking too much moonshine. But later that night, they see these sort of like luminescent gremlin type creatures sort of floating above the ground, making these clicking noises. And of course, what do they do? I mean, they just fucking unload their shotguns into them. You know what I mean? But when they hit them with the shotgun, it makes this sort of metallic ting sound, like almost like shooting a metal bucket. And anyway, it, they were harassed and harangued all night by these strange luminescent gremlins, for lack of a better word, with these huge eyes and pointed ears and sort of luminescent, uh, shiny, metallic type looking bodies. And they would jump on the roof and they would and it just was a fucking alien shootout. Uh, but uh, not not raccoon, not fighting raccoons, but it's a it's a crazy story. And then so anyway, they it could run have been town worse in the. It could yeah, have been it could worse. have been a lot worse. Yeah, it's a great story though. They they go get the no, sheriffs never... and everything. They like almost you know, people from the, the 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 base nearby and. There's course, never been a movie made based on that. That's like a great. That's a great movie. No, right but there, there should be. Uh, that, I would that's love to what do like Gremlins that. was inspired because they were the goblins. But that's they right. inspired Gremlins and inspired ET originally. Spielberg, when he was going to make ET, was going to make a movie called Night Skies that were sort of it was based on that's right. encounter and it sort of. It sort of uh, turned into Gremlins and ET, respectively. But they really should. But, they should do it. Yeah, so, but yeah. that's where the that's where the term "little green men" actually came from. No that way. Case. Yeah. Oh my god, that's that's so cool. See, I love stories like this. Like, as I, I'm kind of a skeptic in a lot of ways, but I, I still there's a part of me that it just wants to believe. Oh, I believe anything. It's it's like when I hear stories like this, I just I I, I don't know I. I, it captures my imagination in a way that it probably shouldn't as a 44 year old man, but it right. Totally. It, it sounds <laughs> well, like you've put up some, no. some walls after re, uh, exorcist and communion. It, it, I love that. It's we okay all deal with skeptical. trauma in different right. ways. <laughs> so is that what, what led you to becoming a skeptic or perhaps even an, I don't want to say atheist, but when, at least when it comes to the paranormal, when did you turn skeptic and why? So I got into this shortly after I moved to LA when I was 25, I got, I went down this rabbit hole of, um, uh, what's it called? Chariots of the gods. Is that what it's called? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. sure. By, uh, Eric Von Daniken. Yeah. And I, I remember I rented this movie. I'd never heard of it before. And, 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 uh, I rented the, there was a documentary called Chariots of the gods and it's really poorly made, but it was, it was the whole ancient alien theory that I was like in, introduced to. And, and I got really into it. I mean, it's kind of embarrassing to admit, but like, I got really into this idea that this had happened. I'm like, Oh my God, it all makes so much sense. You know, 25 years old. And, and I, I got, I went down this rabbit hole for a while and, uh, I was, I was convinced that that was like a reasonable explanation for pyramids and all of these things. Um, but shortly after that, I, I don't know what it was. It wasn't any one thing in particular, but, um, I just kind of like in my late twenties, I just became, I, I became an atheist and I, I became just kind of, questioning of, of everything that I used to believe that was sort of connected to what I learned in childhood or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
you know, um, and ghosts and all that stuff. But I got to I got to be honest, like I said, that's one part of my brain. But there's another part of my brain that really does still believe that shit. And I feel like a lot of people are the same way. Like, have you guys ever not to mention another podcast, but have you ever listened to Spooked? No, I don't I don't think I have. No, there's a there's a podcast called Spooked and it's like real stories, quote unquote, of people who had ghost encounters. And the thing that's so convincing about it is they interview these people and almost all of them, like to a person, are skeptics. You know, they, they weren't people that believed in this stuff and they, they they're very convincing. And there's there's some are more convincing than others, but. You hear these people tell these stories about how they were, you know, tormented by ghosts in their house and they had to move yeah. out of the house or whatever. And it and I just start thinking while I'm listening to it, I'm like, it sounds really believable to me. Like I don't have any evidence, but you know, it's Yeah, it's hard I, I, not to to believe their their stories. Look, I think you're in a you're in a perfect position psychologically speaking to be to be a witness to something like this. Look, cuz I think being skeptical is a great thing, right? Like I think all all of us are a little discerning and, and, and skeptical about things, you know, and, yeah. and, uh, but at the same time, it's like, we like to keep an open mind too. And it, it sounds like you're that same way. And, um, you never know. It's like this, this stuff may, may come at you one day and you might take a different viewpoint of it. You know? uh, yeah. I mean, if I, it, like I said, like, I'm not totally closed off like ghosts. Like I've never had an experience with a ghost, but I know people who have, mm-hmm. and they're yeah. pretty freaking convincing when they tell their stories. And, and I've heard a lot of stories that I find very convincing and, and not, you know, you hear some stories and you're like, well, that was this, and that was obviously this, and you can come up with some explanation for it. But then there's other things where you're just like, this person has no reason to lie about this. I don't know. Neil, I'm going to recommend that you start watching paranormal cut on camera. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right. Hold on. I'm writing this down. Yes. Yes. It's like America's funniest home videos, but for the paranormal, it's, uh, <laughs> is it funny? people who capture, no, it's fucking shocking and crazy. And, and, uh, and you're just like, what the hell was that? But it's like people capturing the craziest shit, ghosts and things on their roof and just we- weird lights. And, oh my God, it's a trip. Oh, I got to check it out. I, I, like I said, like I, I, li- I still like watching these things. I, I, I watched this documentary called Sasquatch. Oh yeah. It was on, it was on Hulu and I was really disappointed after the first episode when I learned it wasn't really about a Sasquatch. It was so about a lot of our right, listeners. Right. It was about a meth. It was about a bunch of fucking meth dealers up in the hills. Bunch of pod growers, yeah, I know. They tried oh, yeah. to lure you in with Sasquatch. The and the first bastards. episode I was like, Oh, I'm all in on this. This is cool. Like this is right up my alley. And then, and then I was like, yeah, this is just sad. Yeah, now they pulled the flip on you. Yeah. It's just depressing. How yeah, much of so, a presence did Bigfoot have growing up in Boulder, Colorado? Because that's kind of Bigfoot country, right? I mean, did you? Is it? Was there any? Fo- well, it's up in the Rocky Mountains, and there's yeah. lots of trees. Was there? I mean, I guess he's most often know. associated with the Pacific Northwest, but I know there's like the Bigfoot outpost off I seventy when I'm driving through uh, between I LA was- and Kansas City. I don't know. I can't answer that. I wasn't really into Bigfoot at the time, but you know, I, I'm sure there's a lot anywhere there's mountains and there's forests and stuff like that. It seems like there's local legends. So I'm sure there's a hell of a lot. Cause there's a lot of mountains and forest. Mm-hmm. You were too busy mm-hmm. being scared of, of, yeah, being I was, possessed. I was yeah. just, I it was too scared to leave my room for like seven yeah. years. <laughs> you understand? <laughs> well, we have a game that we like to play with all of our guests and this is going to dovetail perfectly. Uh, we're going to dovetail per- perfectly into it after, uh, what we just talked about. I'm going to go down a list 
of phenomena. Okay. Now this is really going to require both sides of you, of your personality, mm-hmm. because if you're open to it, you're going to say, believe it. If you're not open to it, you're going to say bullshit. You have to come down on one side of the fence. Now, when it's done, we can circle back and unpack anything you want to. Okay. Alrighty. This is a game that we call bullshit or believe it. All right, Neil Hopkins, on your mark, get set, ghosts. Believe it. UFOs. Believe it. Bigfoot. Mm, bullshit. ESP. Mm, believe it. Shadow people. I don't even know what that is. Bullshit. It's like when people see like shadows, shadows walking around, disembodied shadows walking around the room at night. Oh, uh, that, that's bullshit. Unicorns. Bullshit. Alien abductions. Mm, bullshit. Yeti. <laughs> That's just like a snow Bigfoot, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bull- exactly. Bullshit. Mothman. Bullshit. Out-of-body experiences. Believe it. Tarot cards. Bullshit. Demonically possessed dolls. It's my son's number one fear. Um, <laughs> Annabelle. Um, bullshit. The healing power of crystals. I thought you were going to say Christmas, and I was like, believe it. Um, crystals, bullshit. An alien spacecraft crashed at Roswell. Bullshit. Loch Ness Monster. Bullshit. Atlantis. Bullshit. Haunted houses. Uh, believe it. Skunk ape. <laughs> That's just Bigfoot, right? Yes. Yeah, Florida's no, Bigfoot. Bullshit. I got to stick with my last answer. <laughs> Dodged a bullet there, Bryce. <laughs> you almost unlocked a secret game within the game, Neil, but you didn't. So, I'm so glad you didn't. So we're, we're so glad you didn't. <laughs> the, the Jersey Devil. Bullshit. The Biblical Devil. Bullshit. Speaking to the dead. Believe it. Mermaids. Bullshit. The government is hiding the truth about Sasquatch. Bullshit. Past lives. Bullshit. Life on other planets. Believe it. Life after death. Believe it. Wow, really good. Well so you're done, like a, well you're done, like, Neil. You're like a ghosty guy, not a cryptid guy, and into UFOs, but not necessarily aliens. You kind of stop short. Yeah. Of creatures. That's what it sounds like to me. Well, here's the thing is like, I've seen a lot of Bigfoot documentaries and that show finding Bigfoot in which they never find Bigfoot. And it's just like, I don't see, I have not seen a shred of evidence that Bryce, I, you're in the hot sorry. seat right now. Bryce, sorry. you're in the hot I know. seat. I, know. I, I have, I personally have not seen a shred of evidence where, where that, that's convincing to me. And, and it just seems so easy to fake. You either can fake a footprint or you can, you know, put a guy in an ape suit and do a grainy, you know, video of it. So I, I, that like, I'm not totally opposed to it, but everything I've seen to date has not convinced me of that. And so I, I tend to think that it's, you know, not true because if they're so big, how have we never seen them? How come? (laughs) That's what I wonder. Like how, how I want to hear that. Well, that's because they go through portals. Oh my God. So is that part of it? 
Does, I mean, is, is that part of the belief in Bigfoot? It's is not that, not part of it. It's not. not <laughs> I like that. Right. That it's perfectly not, said. Perfectly said. <laughs> There's like seven <laughs> levels of Bigfoot belief. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Where do we, does it like dovetail into Thetans or anything like that? No, 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 thank goodness. But there are glowing orbs that follow Bigfoot around, so it does get like a little astral plane-ish. I feel like big lead Bigfoot to Bigfoot. It's interesting enough on its own, right? Why do you have yeah. to have orbs and portals and stuff like that? Yeah, and if you have, if you have to come up with portal to explain why you can't see them, then I feel like you're you're grasping at straws. Maybe that's my personal opinion as the skeptic in me. <laughs> guilty <laughs> <laughs> wait why have we never seen them portals of course which we've also never seen um, now speaking to the dead you're open to yeah i i i've seen again i've seen this is like i've seen some documentaries about about people and i here's the thing that's so weird about all these different categories is like there are charlatans in all of these hundred percent and and that's what mucks it up right because you want to just you want to have the pure belief that like these people are telling the truth but then all these charlatans get exposed and they show how they did it and they blah 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 they've got a whole like game and so then it makes it really difficult to believe the ones that might be true but i've seen some instances all all in documentaries that's how i learn everything and experience life is through documentaries um (laughs) you know where I'm pretty convinced. I'm like, that's at least like, I can't that, that, I don't know. It, it passes the bullshit test for me a little bit. Um, are you talking about like mediumship? Mediums. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. When they I, know think, stuff I think you're right. That, There's something to that. When yeah. they, when, when, when they know stuff they couldn't possibly know and they're right more like, you know, I, I know they figure out ways the people that are fake figure out ways mm. of, of guessing and probability and all these things where they can get, they can be right. They ask broad questions or, you know, and then they sort of hone in or sometimes people will research these people on Facebook or whatever, and they'll find out all these things. So, but I've seen a couple where I'm just like, that's, I don't know. How do I explain that? That person knew. And when they make a skeptic, a believer, I don't know. That to me is like, that's like money for me. When I, when I yeah. see a person that is like a dyed in the wool skeptic and they're like, I don't know how to explain it. Well, it's like these UFO, you know, reports. I mean, 95% of them are, are complete bullshit or explainable, you know? Yeah. But it's that other 5% that are, that just go unexplained or uh, that, that really brings attention to the subject. You know, it, it's, I think it's the same to your point for all of these subjects, all it takes is just just for one of them to be true. And that opens up a whole new paradigm. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, it's kind of, it's such a personal experience. You have to believe it because you saw it or you experienced it yourself. Right. And then that doesn't necessarily translate from person to person. So mm-hmm. it's, you kind of, there, there, there's like the social contract where everybody just has to agree that, okay, this guy's story checks out. I believe it. But the problem, like I said, is that they, they, there's just, it's, so, there's such a propensity for charlatanism in that world, you know, whether it's like faking ghosts or faking, you know, a fake medium or fortune teller or whatever it is that it's, it, it mucks it up for the for the five percent that might be true. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, uh, fate has it that I actually picked a story of high strangeness that is perfect for our guest Neil Hopkins. Cannot wait to hear what his reaction will be to this. 
Uh, all right, we'll be back in just a moment. Okay, well, Neil Hopkins, we have a story of high strangeness for you this week. Uh, I've assigned roles, listeners, for both Neil and Bryce. So, boys, get your lines ready. Uh, okay. This actually centers around a holy man, uh, a priest, in fact. And it involves, uh, what else, of course, a UFO, because it's wet, hot, alien, summer two, summer abduction. So, mm-hmm. here we go. Riley, cue us up. Longtime listeners of BCC are well-versed in how highly active the 1950s were when it came to UFOs. The summer of 52 saw unidentified aircraft flying over the nation's capital and the birth of Project Blue Book, the U.S. government's quote-unquote official investigation into the phenomena, headed by J. Allen Hynek, uh, which worked hard to explain away most eyewitness encounters, although Hynek himself stated some encounters couldn't be explained by conventional means. 1952 UFO flap also kicked off the modern era of contact with alien beings, generally beginning with Polish-American spiritual instructor George Adamanski's Adamski's, pardon me, conversations with a humanoid alien, a Nordic-like UFO knot named Orthon who warned Adamski of imminent global catastrophe in the atomic age. Adamski's full account of his relationship with Orthon can be found in the book Flying Saucers Have Landed, and will probably be covered at some point on this very podcast. But I mention it here as a reminder that up until the alien greys made their debut in Betty and Barney Hill's abduction in the early 60s, many UFO knots from mystery ships to Adamski's space brothers were depicted as very human-looking. Of course, there were exceptions. 1952 also brought us the Flatwoods monster encounter, and in 1955, the Kelly Hopkinsville incident occurred, where a rural family claimed to be attacked by glow-in-the-dark, bouncing, bulletproof space goblins after witnessing a rainbow-colored meteor streak over their cabin. Uh, Just two BCC chestnuts that I hold dear to my heart, and one of which we... serendipitously touched upon already in this episode now many of these humanoids and monsters were brought to life in films like the flying disc man from mars forbidden planet the day the earth stood still plan nine from outer space and the devil woman from mars and of course the war of the worlds martians or visitors from space in general seem to be on america's mind throughout the decade of the 1950s But the extraterrestrial and UFO activity of that decade was by no means limited to the U.S. The first modern account of alien abduction took place in 1957 when Argentinian farmer Antonio Villas-Boyas was kidnapped from his fields and taken aboard a craft by strange creatures and forced to mate with a female alien with the hourglass figure of Marilyn Monroe. In 1950, it's a true story. Bastards. Britain's Ministry of Defense responded to the explosion of UFO activity by establishing their own version of Project Blue Book, the Flying Saucer Working Party, which cast a long shadow of doubt over the public's engagement with alien spacecrafts. But after the uh, 1952 flap over Washington, D.C., Winston Churchill himself was forced to ask... 
The Royal Australian Air Force began to investigate sightings occurring over the southwestern Pacific, like 1953's Drury Affair, where aviation official Tom Drury captured footage of a strange craft that almost behaved like a guided missile over Papua New Guinea. Papua New Guinea is also the setting of this week's story of high strangeness, a UFO encounter that took place at the tail end of the 50s flying saucer craze. The overall incident took place over a number of days and involved multiple witnesses and remains one of the most quaint and outright intriguing cases I've come across during Wet Hot Alien Summer 2, Summer Abduction. This is the story of the Father Gill UFO sightings. Mm. Now, Bryce, does this ring any bells? It rings one or two, um, but I've forgotten the details. I can't wait to hear all about it again. Well, here we go. It was April 1959 on the island of Papua New Guinea. An Anglican priest by the name of Father William Gill uh, in the mountainous village of Boyanai, located along the north coast of Milbane province, was a highly respected, good-humored, and well-educated missionary from Australia. Gill was ordained in 1950 after graduating from Queensland University. And sidebar, he also apparently spent some time on the island as a radio broadcaster. So we salute ye, Father Gill. (laughs) Now, Gill was a skeptic of the UFO activity that had been happening during the 1950s. But a series of events involving his staff began to change the holy man's perspective on the phenomenon. In April of 1959, he wrote a few letters to his friend, Reverend David Dury, about strange happenings in the skies over Bowenai. In 1959, Dury was the acting head of St. Aidan's College, the program that trained teacher evangelists at Dragura, which was the headquarters of the missionary activities in Papua New Guinea. Gill wrote to Dury about strange lights he had witnessed along with his staff and a flying saucer seen by one of Gill's assistant teachers, a man named Stephen Moy. There have been quite a number of reports over the months from reliable witnesses. The peculiar thing about these most recent reports is that the UFOs seem to be stationary at Bowenai, or to travel from Bowenai. I myself saw a stationary white light twice on the same night on April 9th. The assistant district officer Bob Smith and Mr. Glover have seen it as well. I do not doubt the existence of these things, but my simple mind still requires scientific evidence before I can accept the from outer space theory. I'm inclined to believe that probably many UFOs are more likely some form of electric phenomena or perhaps something brought about by the atom bomb explosions, etc. That Stephen should actually make out a saucer could be the work of the unconscious mind as it is very likely that at some time he has seen illustrations of some kind in a magazine. It's all too difficult to understand for me. I prefer to wait for some bright boy to catch one to be exhibited in Martin Place. Yours doubting, William. As fate would have it, the UFO phenomena wasn't finished with Gill. It was as if the cosmic trickster 
itself incepted Gill's correspondence, intercepted Gill's correspondence with Dury, because the day after Gill wrote his first letter on the subject, he got a taste of high strangeness, and ooh, did he catch the UFO bug. Dear David, OMGWTF. Life is strange, isn't it? Yesterday I wrote you a letter expressing opinions re the UFOs. Now, less than 24 hours later, I've changed my view somewhat. Last night at Bonoi, experienced about four hours of UFO activity, and there is no doubt whatsoever that they are handled by beings of some kind. At times, it was absolutely breathtaking. Here is the report. Father Gill explained that a brilliant white light had appeared over Boyanai from the northwestern skies. The object moved in the direction of the mission, where it was observed from about 100 meter distance by Father Gill, Stephen Moy, another teacher named Anianias Barrara, and 35 other staff members for an encounter that lasted 25 minutes. The light, it became apparent, was emitting from a physical saucer-shaped craft. A real CS, you might say, classic mm-hmm. saucer, emitting a blue shaft of light, and which was lined with four window panels. Along its base were four legs, or landing gear, and the bottom portion of the disc tapered up to what looked to be an upper deck, upon which four figures, who appeared to be men, stepped out from within the ship and began going about their business quite casually. And the craft wasn't alone. We watched figures appear, appear on top, four of them. No doubt that they were human. Two smaller UFOs were seen at the same time, stationary, one above the hills west, another overhead. On the large one, two of the figures seemed to be doing something near the center of the deck, where occasionally bending over and raising their arms as though adjusting or setting up something not visible. One figure seemed to be standing, looking down at us, a group of about a dozen. I stretched my arm above my head and, well, I waved. To our surprise, the figure did the same. An Anias waved both arms over his head. Then the two outside figures did the same. What the fuck is going on? Ananias himself began waving our arms, and all four now seemed to wave back. There seemed to be no doubt that our movements were answered. All mission boys made audible gasps, of either joy or surprise, or perhaps even both. As dark was beginning to close in, I sent Eric Kotawara for a torch and directed a series of long dashes towards the UFO. After a minute or two of this, the UFO apparently acknowledged by making several wavering motions back and forth. Waving by us was repeated, and this followed by more flashes of torch. Then the UFO began slowly to become bigger, apparently coming in our direction. It ceased after perhaps a half a minute and came no further. After a further two or three minutes, the figures apparently, I don't know, lost interest in us, for they disappeared below deck. At 6.25 p.m., two figures reappeared, to carry on with whatever they were doing before the interruption. The blue spotlight came on for a few seconds, twice in succession. This man is the most casual Anglican missionary of the 1950s. I love him. He even 
apparently swears in his letters to, I to do. his mentor. I guilty as charged. <laughs> <laughs> he said, now I just can't help but picture like the kangaroo from Dunkaroos. Like, <laughs> During this encounter, the vessel drifted higher into the clouds with the UFO knot still visible. As evening rolled in, Father Gill and his staff went to dinner and then to evening mass. Later, when asked as to why he would up and leave such an amazing sight and return to his evening schedule, Gill would simply state, There was just nothing eerie or otherworldly about any of it. It was all so ordinary, as, as ordinary as a Ford car. Yeah, a flying Ford car, sure. Right, there is that, right? It was flying, Father. So after Mass, around 7.45, the clouds had enveloped the ship, and Father Gill and his staff could no longer make visual contact with their airborne visitors. However, around 10.45 p.m., a mysterious, loud explosion was heard in the night skies, perhaps a sign that Father Gill's new friends were returning to wherever they came from. Gill concluded in his report... Uh, concluded his report in his letter to Dury with this. It looked perfectly normal sort of object, an earth-made object. I realized, of course, that some people might think of this as a flying saucer, but I took it to be some kind of hovercraft the Americans or even the Australians had built. The figures inside looked perfectly human. Cheers. Convinced. Bill. P.S. Do you think P. Moresby should know about this? If people think it worthwhile... I will stand the cost of a radio conversation if you care to make out a comprehensive report from the material on my behalf. Father William Gill setting the trend for paranormal podcasting. (laughs) You got your wish, Father Gill. We're talking about it right now. The RAAF, who, as I mentioned, by the way, I don't know what's going on with me. I got the bug tonight. Uh, who I mentioned earlier has already begun investigating Australian UFO sightings in the early 50s, came out to investigate. But after speaking to Father Gill and his cognizant staff, who all claimed to have clearly seen four men waving from the deck of a classic flying saucer, concluded that the whole thing must have been caused by cloudy weather refracting light off of the planet Jupiter. (laughs) Nothing to see here, folks. Father Gill eventually returned to Australia, where he worked in Melbourne as a grammar school teacher. He would occasionally speak about his encounter publicly and willingly, so never wavering from the account. The event became the inspiration for the novel Visitants by Australian author Randolph Stowe. Gill died in 2007. As to who or what the visitors above Bo and I were, or from whence they came... Your guess is as good as Father Gill's. But perhaps we should take a cue from the priest's attitude that when strange things are seen in our skies, whether it's the 1950s or today, extraordinary events are perfectly ordinary. And that is the story of the Father Gill UFO sightings. Wild. Wow. Wild. Well done. Well told. Well thank told. you. Thank you. Indeed. Sorry. Tripping over my words tonight. Uh, Neil Hopkins, what the hell is that? What do you think is going on here? I mean, we got dozens, anywhere from dozens to 35 staff members staring at this thing. 25 minutes. There are people waving. They're waving back. They're waving their flashlight at the UFO. The UFO's winking and waving lights back at them. What the 
fuck is happening here? That's one of those stories for me. That's like when there's that many witnesses and when there's a guy that was skeptical at first and, you know, a man of science, I mean, he's a man of God, but he's also sounds like he had a lot of scientific or psychological educated guy, obviously, you know? Yeah. And he wasn't just like immediately critical thinker. Yeah, exactly. We need more of those. Um, and when I, when I, so like that for me is a little more convincing because I'm like, well, that clearly the guy saw something. He didn't make the whole damn thing up. Right. And all these other people are witnesses and they all attest to the same thing. The question is, what did he see? And like, you know, his explanation about military craft or whatever, that's what I'm inclined to believe. But I'm like, well, then why haven't we ever seen that technology? If that was, if that was around in 1959 and they already had it, why'd we never see it? Like, it sounds like it's a pretty amazing technology that it could just sit there and hover quietly. Was it quiet? Mm-hmm. And there were two sounds other ones like it, with yeah. it. There was a fleet. There were, there were three yeah. of them at that. So the military explanation for me just doesn't ring true. Cause I'm like, what they didn't, we didn't have that technology. And if we did, we would have used it in the subsequent years and we didn't. Right. This is 62 years ago. Yeah. So that's a head scratcher. I don't know. I like that story because it's just, it kind of like hits my sweet spot of, I like, I like when grizzled skeptics are like, I, I actually think this is real. Yeah. And I love that night one, he was like, get a load of this. Everyone's claiming to see flying saucers. It's gotta be our imagination. And then like literally the next night he's like, Oh, wait a minute. Uh, sorry about that. This is weird, but, but it, (laughs) It is fascinating that he does just go, well, I think it's just humans up there, you know? Well, you know, the human part doesn't bother me because in so many of these cases, we hear the the witnesses describe sort of humanoid type entities. God, they're just in dozens of cases and and that doesn't bother me at all. And even the even the windows in the in the flight deck doesn't bother me either. I mean, how many times have people drawn what looks to be like these portholes or cabin decks with windows. And it's just, it's all so strange, man. And that they would just be hovering over there and, and wave back. I, that's what I remembered about this story. I just love the idea of them like, hello, Hey, how's it going? And then like (laughs) waving back, you know, it's like, 25 um, minutes is a long time to sit there and wave yeah. at someone. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. No, 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 <laughs> it's been very, very okay, awkward. Yeah. I feel like if I put my arm down first, it's rude. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what's so amazing is it went on so long and it was so kind of benign that they're like, well, should we just, it's dinner. Should we just go to dinner yeah. and then do even evening song? Let's just, let's go. Should we go? What's going on? You know what I mean? That they'll probably be here when we get back. So why don't we eat and come back and <laughs> yeah, check yeah. on them? <laughs> they got bored. They got bored by the aliens. They got bored. Yeah. And that was in right. what 1959. Imagine today's attention span. People would get bored oh after about God. 30 seconds. I mean, I guess I guess too in 59, we're in the Cold War. You know, it's a big technological boom age that maybe you're just thinking, yeah, why not? Why wouldn't we have this, you know, um, this this would be the next technology that we'd come up with. Sure, why not? You know what I mean. It's just yeah. he's just he's just thinking. I'm seeing a new invention up there. Um, you know, when, it's, it's, when, it sounds to me like he's like you know trying not to come off a little crazy too, right? He's yeah. like because he's kind of like hey, you know it's probably just the Americans. Uh, anyway, P.S. If you want me to look into it further, I'd be happy to. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. love to figure out what the fuck that was. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, the other, the other weird thing about that is again, like going back to the, the technological thing, like if, if it's that easy that you can build those things in 1959, it just doesn't make any sense why the Soviets or why the Americans wouldn't have made, like we should be, have, we should have the most amazing, like invisible technology by today. If, you yeah. know, if, if we had that kind of technology, there, there's no way they would let it go to waste. And that's why the military thing, like I believe that more today, but when you go back that far, um, I, I don't know. I, I find it hard to believe that they were able to invent that kind of stuff back then. You know, this kind of speaks to 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 the point that we were talking about earlier, too. The same thing sort of happened with the flying dirigibles, which were these like large balloon type airships with with a with a crew aboard that looked like sailors. And the and the and the dirigibles, and this was in the at the turn of the century, like 1897, 98. And as these things flew over the United States for the better part, you know, some farmers would just see this like, oh, look at look at what we're developing. You know, isn't that great? And they would wave at the people aboard the ship, and the people at the ship would wave wave back down to them. Um, and so and so it's the same thing that it seems to be like the technology is always, oh, not too far out of reach. Oh, we could do that. That maybe that's ours, you know. And it and it even makes me think of what we were talking about earlier with the with the tic tac. Like, oh well, that could just be a, a you know a, a drone or a or a balloon. We're not too far off from that technology. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. fooling us again, just keeping it right out of our grasp uh, of where we are today and and where we could be maybe 15, 20 years from now, just always keeping that plausibility right in the realm of existence. So when was the first ever classic saucer described to have been? Because that's what I'm curious about. Did they not start seeing those until we had flying technology? Uh, it really started to kick off as I'm researching right now. Uh, really like world war two is kind of like around world war two and in the early thirties, even a little bit pre-world war two, um, people start seeing everything from like ghost rockets to fireballs. They're still seeing weird airships in 1940s that sound like the same airships from the turn of the century. And then the emergence of, um, disc shaped crafts, and then in 1947, after the war was over, Kenneth Arnold was flying, a businessman was flying his private plane over Mount Rainier in Washington, and he saw nine delta-shaped craft flying over uh, Mount Rainier, and he described the movement as if they were saucers skipping on water, and that's where the press picked up the term flying saucer, which actually didn't describe the shape of the craft that he saw. Um so it's it's really but, happening, really becoming part of the lexicon in the late forties, early fifties. So there's but nothing. There's nothing from those... like there's nothing from like the eighteen hundreds where people are describing the exact same thing they saw in the fifties. Well, right? even in the Bible, they talk about Gideon's wheel. You know what I mean? Which comes up in yeah. chariots of the gods. So there are flying discs that show up. Or well, even some history, of those yeah. those Renaissance paintings where you can mm -hmm. see there's there's about a half a dozen of them that just have a UFO plopped right in the middle of the painting with like illuminating ray beam of rays you know and those are very classic saucer like for lack of a better term you know it's uh it they've always been around it seems you know and and they change shape and they morph and they they you know they interplay with people's perceptions it's a strange phenomena 
Yeah. So it does go back. It does. Cause I was going to say, if it doesn't predate that technology, then it makes it harder to believe a little bit because it, it makes it easier to explain. We are like, well, if you didn't start seeing these UFOs with the lights and the, you know, until we had flying technology, then mm-hmm. it, it, it makes it like, I think it's, it's just, we are getting closer looks at what was up there, what's been up there, you know? So you're just seeing it more often, you know? Um, yeah. But I don't know. Yeah. It's wild stuff. Um, okay. Well, Neil, uh, you, you've survived a strange trip through Bigfoot Collectors Club. Loved um, it. Any final thoughts on the paranormal heading heading out, heading back to the real world? You know, I hope that one day I see something, I experience it in my own life, where I can actually like not only have a cool story to tell, but where I have to make a decision for myself that's not not based on a documentary. (laughs) (laughs) I'm open to it, man. Be careful what you wish for. I know. (laughs) Well, yeah. Well, thanks so much for being on the show, Neil. Uh, Where We don't know where to find Father Gill's Flying Friends, but where can people find you on social media should you wish to be found? I am on Instagram uh, at Neil E. Hopkins. You can check me out. You get all the latest Stargirl news. Yeah, where can we watch Stargirl? (laughs) It's on the CW. It's on Tuesdays uh, at uh, 8 o'clock. Yeah. Fantastic. Congrats. That's amazing stuff. Um, Anything else to plug? Anything else other than Stargirl? Nope. That's it. Just Stargirl. Great. That's a lot. That's a, a lot more than <laughs> That'll I have. Do. So That'll fantastic. work. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to remind you guys to check out our live show a week from tonight, September 15th at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The ticket uh, link is in our bio and on Instagram and in the show notes of this. So check that out. Just go to our link tree. Uh, boys, anything to plug before we head out? Yeah, that live show, man. Meet us there. It's going to be great. It's basically the live show we used to do only in a virtual room. Come chat with us. We'll be listening to your combo. You can write into us live while the show is happening and get a ticket to chat with Michael at the end of it, man. It'll be worth your time. Limited, limited, limited here, here. spaces. All right, guys. Uh, that's it. Thanks again to Neil Hopkins. Uh, good night. And go get regressed. Bigfoot Collectors Club is produced by Riley Bray. Our theme song is Come Alone by Sun Eaters, courtesy of Lotus Pool Records. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps get the podcast to more listeners. To support the show, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash Bigfoot Collectors Club and unlock multiple reward episodes every month. Hey guys, Heather Ashley here, host of the Big Mad True Crime Podcast. If you're looking for a true crime podcast with all of the details and none of the small talk, you have found your people. 
Each week, we dive deep into a new case and learn everything there is to know, from getting to know the victim and the impact their cases had on those around them, to the investigation into what happened to them and who is or might be responsible. And if the bad guy looks like he might drink whiskey by a dumpster or has the social skills of an ogre, we say it because we were all thinking it anyway. As the name suggests, we get big mad over true crime, and I would love to have you join our incredible community of listeners with big hearts and zero time for small talk. Subscribe to Big Mad True Crime anywhere you listen to podcasts and listen to new episodes every single Monday. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.